Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. If you're looking for plump lips that last, you need to know about Juvederm Lip Fillers. With Juvederm Volbella XC and Juvederm Ultra XC, your lip look, whether it's subtle or bold, can last up to one full year with optimal treatment and no additional maintenance. Find a licensed specialist and see if it's right for you at Juvederm.com today. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Add fullness to lips in adults over 21 with Juvederm Volbella XC or Juvederm Ultra XC. Do not use if you have severe allergies or a history of severe allergic reactions, or if you you're allergic to lidocaine or the proteins used in Juvederm. Tell your doctor if you have a history of scarring or taking medicines that decrease the body's immune response or that can prolong bleeding. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. As with all fillers, there's a rare risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. For full important safety information, visit juviderm.com. Welcome to the Fireside. I'm your host, Nicole. Fireside Anthology is a podcast where we collectively gather, relax, and listen to stories across all genres by a variety of authors. Come in, relax with us. Hello listeners, we return to our friend, Lewis Carroll. Um, I didn't even know that he had a whole bunch of basically satirical writings on little weird etiquette things that we do, and uh, it's interesting to dive into. Um, today's story is about letter writing, and I personally love writing letters. I love getting mail, um, but please do not send me any mail. Um, just, it's complicated. It complicates things. Anyway. I love writing letters, you know, I love stationery, I love the smell of new paper, the smell of new books, you know, just, I don't know, something about it just soothes the soul, you know, it feels right. Anyway, we'll um, hear a little bit about what Mr. Carroll has to say on letter writing right after a brief word from our sponsors. Starting your own podcast. 
If you haven't heard about Anchor, it's the easiest way to make a podcast. Let me explain. It's free, and we love free. There's creation tools right in the app that allow you to record and edit your podcast simply. You know, you don't even have to download a bunch of expensive equipment. All you need is what you already have in your hand. Anchor will distribute your podcast for you so it can be heard on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and many other platforms. You don't even have to worry about how to get it out there. And you can make money from your podcast with no minimum listenership simply by posting ads like this one. Everything you need to make a podcast in one place is at anchor.fm. Download the free Anchor app or go to anchor.fm to get started. Eight or Nine Wise Words About Letter Writing by Lewis Carroll On Stamp Cases Some American writer has said that the snakes in this district may be divided into one species, the venomous. The same principle applies here. Postage stamp cases may be divided into one species, the wonderland. Imitations of it will soon appear, no doubt, but they cannot conclude... They cannot include the two pictorial surprises, which are copyright. You don't see why I call them surprises? Well, take the case in your left hand and regard it attentively. You see Alice nursing the Duchess's baby? An entirely new combination, by the way. It doesn't occur in the book. Now, with your right thumb and forefinger, lay hold of the little book and suddenly pull it out. The baby has turned into a pig. If that doesn't surprise you, why? I suppose you wouldn't be concerned if your own mother-in-law suddenly turned into a gyroscope. This case is not intended to carry about in your pocket. Far from it. People seldom want any other stamps on an emergency than penny stamps for letters, six penny stamps for telegrams, and a bit of stamp edging for cut fingers. It makes capital sticking plaster and will stand against three or four washings cautiously conducted. And all these are equally and easily carried in a purse or pocketbook. Now this is meant to haunt your envelope case, wherever you keep your writing materials. What made me invent it was the constantly wanting stamps of other values for foreign letters, parcel posts, etc., and finding it very bothersome to get at the kind I wanted in a hurry. Since I have possessed a Wonderland stamp case, life has been bright and peaceful, and I have used no other. I believe the Queen's Laundress uses no other. Each of the pockets will hold six stamps comfortably. I would recommend you to arrange the six before putting them in something like a bouquet, making them lean to the right and to the left alternately. Thus, there will always be a free corner to get hold of so as to take them out quickly and easily, one by one. Otherwise, you will find them apt to come out two or three at a time. According to my experience, the uh, five-dime, nine-dime, and one-cent stamps are hardly ever wanted, although I have constantly to replenish all the other pockets. If your experience agrees with mine, you may find it convenient to keep only a couple, say, of each of these three kinds in the one-cent pocket to fill the other two pockets with extra one-dime stamps. 
How to begin a letter. If the letter is to be an answer to another, begin by getting out that other letter and reading it through in order to refresh your memory as it is what you have to answer. As to your correspondent's present address, otherwise you will be sending your letter to his regular address in London, though he has been carefully in writing to give you his Torque address in full. Next, address and stamp the envelope. What? Before writing the letter? Most certainly. And I'll tell you what will happen if you don't. You'll go on writing till the last moment and just in the middle of the last sentence you will become aware that time's up. And then comes the hurried wind-up, the wildly scrawled signature, the hastily fastened envelope which comes open in the post, the address, a mere hieroglyphic, the horrible discovery that you've forgotten to replenish your stamp case, the frantic appeal to everyone at the house. To lend you a stamp, the headlong rush to the post office, arriving hot and gasping just after the box is closed, and finally, a week afterwards, the return of the letter, from the dead letter office marked address illegible. Next, put your own address in full at the top of the note sheet. It is an aggravating thing, I speak from bitter experience, when a friend staying at some new address heads his letter Dover. Simply assuming that you can get the rest of the address from his previous letter, which perhaps you have destroyed. Next, put the date in full. It is another aggravating thing when you wish years afterward to arrange a series of letters to find them dated February 17th, August 2nd, without any year to guide you as to which comes first. And never, never, dear madame, this mark, the mark is addressed to ladies only. No man would ever do such a thing. Put Wednesday simply as the date. That way madness lies. How to go on with a letter. Here is a golden rule to begin with. Write legibly. The average temper of the human race would be perceptively sweetened if everyone obeyed this rule. A great deal of the bad writing in the world comes simply from writing too quickly. Of course, you reply, I do it to save time. A very good object, no doubt, but what right have you to do it at your friend's expense? Isn't his time as valuable as yours? Years ago, I used to receive letters from a friend, and very interesting letters too, written in one of the most atrocious hands ever invented. It generally took me about a week to read one of his letters. I used to carry it about in my pocket, take it out in leisure times to puzzle over the riddles which composed it, holding it in different positions and at different distances, till at last the meaning of some hopeless scrawl would flash upon me when I had once wrote down the English under it. And when several had been thus guessed, the context would help with the others, till at last the whole series of hieroglyphics was deciphered. If all one's friends wrote like that, life would be entirely spent in reading their letters. This rule applies specially to names of people or places, and most especially to foreign names. I got a letter once containing some Russian names written in the same hasty scramble in which people often write yours sincerely. The context, of course, didn't help in the least, and one spelling was just as likely as another so far as I knew. It was necessary to write and tell my friend I couldn't read any of them. My second rule is, don't fill more than a page and a half with apologies for not having written sooner. The best subject to begin with is your friend's last letter. 
write with the letter open before you answer his questions and make any remarks his letter suggests then go on to what you want to say yourself this arrangement is more courteous and pleasanter for the reader than to fill the letter with your own invaluable remarks and then hastily answer your your friend's questions in a postscript your friend is much more likely to enjoy your wit after his own anxiety for information has been satisfied in referring to anything your friend has said in his letter, it is best to quote the exact words and not to give a summary of them in your words. A's impression of what B has said expressed in A's word will never convey to B the meaning of his own words. This is especially necessary when some point has arisen as to which the two correspondents do not quite agree. There ought to be no opening for writing such as, You are quite mistaken in thinking I said so and so, it was not in the least my meaning, etc., etc., which tends to be a correspondence, it tends to make a correspondence last for a lifetime. A few more rules may fitly be given here, for correspondence has unfortunately become controversial. One is, don't repeat yourself. Once you have said your say fully and clearly on a certain point and have failed to convince your friend, drop that subject. To repeat your arguments all over again will simply lead to his doing the same and so you will go on like a circulating decimal. Did you ever know a circulating decimal to come to an end? Another rule is, when you have written a letter that you may feel may possibly irritate your friend, however necessary, you may have felt it to express yourself, put it aside until the next day. Then read it over again and fancy it addressed to yourself. This will often lead to your writing it all over again, taking a lot of the vinegar and pepper out and putting in honey instead, thus making a much more palatable dish of it. If, when you have done your best to write inoffensively, you still feel that it will probably lead to further controversy, keep a copy of it. There is very little use months afterward in pleading, I am almost sure I never expressed myself as you say, to the best of my recollection I said so and so. Far better to be able to write, I did not express myself, so these are the words I used. My fifth rule is, if your friend makes a severe remark, either leave it unnoticed or make your reply distinctly less severe. And if he makes a friendly remark tending towards making up the little difference that has arisen between you, let your reply be distinctly more friendly. If in picking a quarrel each party declined to go more than three-eighths of the way, and if in making friends each was ready to go five-eighths of the way, why, there would be no more reconciliations there would be more reconciliations than quarrels, which is like the Irishman's remonstrance to his gadabout daughter. Sure, you're always going out. You go out three times. For once, you come in. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. 
PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hey, folks, I'm Mark Marin from the WTF Podcast, and this episode is brought to you by Kleenex Ultra Soft Tissues your ally to help tackle your allergy symptoms this season. I love the change of seasons, but nobody loves pollen and all those other things floating in the air that make you sneeze during this nice weather. Kleenex Ultra Soft Tissues are hypoallergenic and allergist approved. So fight back against watery eyes and runny noses without worrying about irritating your skin. For this allergy season, grab Kleenex and face allergies head on. Burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction, and free shipping, and that extends to their outdoor collection. Their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements, featuring rust-proof stainless steel hardware, weather-ready teak, and quick-dry foam cushions. For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at burrow.com acast, and up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com acast. My sixth rule and my last remark about controversial correspondence is don't try to have the last word. How many a controversy would be nipped in the bud if each was anxious to let the other have the last word? Never mind how telling a rejoinder you leave unuttered. Never mind your friends supposing that you are silent from lack of anything to say. Let the thing drop as soon as it is possible without discourtesy. Remember, speech is silvern but silence is golden if you are a gentleman and you're a friend of lady this rule is superfluous you won't get the last word my seventh rule is if it should ever occur to you to write jestingly in dispraise of your friend be sure you exaggerate enough to make the jesting obvious a word spoken in jest but taken as earnest may lead to very serious consequences I have known it to lead to the breaking off of a friendship. Suppose, for instance, you wish to remind your friend of a sovereign you have lent him which he has forgotten to repay, you might quite mean the words I mention it as you seem to have conveniently bad memory for debts in jest. Yet there would be nothing to wonder if he took offense at the way of putting it. But suppose you wrote, Long observation of your career as a pitpocket and a burglar has convinced me that my one lingering hope for recovering that sovereign I lent you is to say, pay up or I'll summons you. He would indeed be a matter-of-fact friend if he took that as seriously meant. My eighth rule. When you say in your letter, I enclose a check for five pounds, or I enclose John's letter for you to see, leave off writing for a moment, Go and get the document referred to and put it in the envelope. Otherwise, you are pretty certain to find it lying about after the post has gone. My ninth rule. When you get to the end of a note sheet and find you have more to say, take another piece of paper, a whole sheet or a scrap, as the case may demand, but whatever you do, don't cross. Remember that old proverb, cross-writing makes cross-reading? The old proverb, you say inquiringly. How old? 
Well, not so very ancient, I must confess. In fact, I'm afraid I invented it while writing this paragraph. Still, you know, old is a comparative term. I think you would be quite justified in addressing a chicken just out of the shell as old boy when compared with another chicken that was only half out. How to end a letter. If doubtful whether to end with yours faithfully or yours truly or yours most truly, etc. There are at least a dozen varieties before you reach yours affectionately. Refer to your correspondent's last letter and make your winding up at least as friendly as his. In fact, even if a shade more friendly, it will do no harm. A postscript is a very useful invention, but is not meant, as so many ladies suppose, to contain the real gist of the letter. It serves rather to throw into the shade any little matter we do not wish to make a fuss about. For example, your friend had promised to execute a commission for you in town, but forgot it thereby putting you to great inconvenience. He now writes to apologize for his negligence. It would be cruel and needlessly crushing to make it the main subject of your reply. How much more gracefully it comes in thus. P.S. Don't distress yourself any more about having omitted that little matter in town. I won't deny that it did put my plans out a little at the time, but it's all right now. I often forget things myself, and those who live in glass houses mustn't throw stones, you know. When you take your letter to the post, carry them in your hand. If you put them in your pocket, you will take a long country walk. I speak from experience. Passing the post office twice going and returning and when you get home you will find them still in your pocket unregistering correspondence let me recommend you to keep a record of letters received and sent i have kept one for many years and have found it of the greatest possible service in many ways it secures in my answering letters, however long they have to wait. It enables me to refer for my own guidance to the details of previous correspondence, so the actual letters may have been destroyed long ago. And most valuable feature of all, if any difficulty arises years afterward in connection with a half-forgotten correspondence, it enables me to say with confidence, I did not tell you that he was an invaluable servant in every way, and that you couldn't trust him too much, I have a precy of my letter. What I said was, he is a valuable servant in many ways, but don't trust him too much. So if he's cheated you, you really must not hold me responsible for it. I will now give you a few simple rules for making and keeping a letter register. Get a blank book, say 200 leaves, about four inches wide and seven high. It should be well fastened into his cover as well as well, as it will have to be opened and shut hundreds of times. Have a line ruled in red ink down each margin of every page an inch off the edge. The margin should be wide enough to contain a number of five digits easily. I manage with a three-fourths inch margin, but unless you write very small, you will find an inch more comfortable. Write a precy of each letter received or sent in chronological order. Let the entry of a received letter reach from the left-hand edge to the right-hand marginal line and the entry of a sent letter from the left-hand marginal line to the right-hand edge. Thus, the two kinds will be quite distinct and you can easily hunt through the received letters by themselves without being bothered with the sent letters and vice versa. Use the right-hand pages only and when you come to the end of the book, 
turn it upside down and begin at the other stand and still using only right hand pages. You will find this much more comfortable than using left hand pages. You will find it convenient to write at the top of every sheet a received letter, its register number in full. At this point, the author does give a detailed written example, illustrated example of his letter register, which we will post to our social media. I begin each page by putting at the top left hand corner the next entry number I'm going to use in full. The last three digits of each entry number are enough afterwards. I put the date of the year at the top in the center. I begin each entry with the last three digits of the entry number enclosed in an oval. This is difficult to reproduce in print so I have put rounded parentheses here. Then for the first entry on each each page, I put the day of the month and the day of the week and afterwards due is enough for the month day until it changes. I do not repeat this weekday. Next, if the entry is not a letter, I put a symbol for parcel. See numbers 234, 235, or telegram. See numbers 230, 231, as the case may be. Next, the name of the person underlined, indicated here by italics. If an entry needs special further attention, I put at the end, and when it has been attended to, I fill in the appropriate symbol. For example, in number 218, it showed that the bill had to be paid. In number 222, that an answer was really needed. The X means attended to. In number 234, that I owed the old lady a visit. In number 235, that the item had to be entered into my account book. In number 236, that I must not forget to write. In number 239, that the address had to be entered in my address book. In number 245, that the book had to be returned. I give each entry a space of two lines, whether it fills them out or not, in order to have room for references. And at the foot of each page, I leave two or three lines blank often useful afterwards for entering omitted letters, and miss one or two numbers before I begin the next page. At any odd moments of leisure, I make up the entry book in various ways as follows. I draw a second line at the right-hand entry of the received entries and at the left-hand entry of the sent entries. Then I do pretty well up to date. In my register, the first line is red and the second blue. Here I distinguish them by making the first thin and the second thick. Beginning with the last entry and going backwards, I read over the names till I recognize one of having occurred already. I then link the two entries together by giving the one that comes first in chronological order a foot reference. See numbers 217 and 225. I do not keep this up to date, but leave it till there are four or five pages to be done. I work back until I come among entries that are all supplied with foot references. When I once more glance to the last few pages to see if there are any entries not yet supplied with head references, their predecessors may need a special search. If an entry is connected in a subject with another under a different name, I link them by cross-references, distinguishing them from the head and foot reference by being written further from the marginal lines, see number 229. When two consecutive entries have the same name and are both of the same kind, for example, both received or both sent, I bracket them, see numbers 242, 243, of different kinds. If of different kinds, I link them with the same symbol used for numbers 219 and 220. 
Beginning at the earliest entry not done with and going forwards, I cross out every entry that has got a head foot reference and is done with by continuing that extra line through it. See numbers 221, 223, and 225. Thus, wherever a break occurs in the extra line, it shows that there is some matter still needing attention. I do not keep anything, like, up to date, but leave it until there are 30 or 40 pages to look through at a time. When the first page in the volume is thus completely crossed out, I put a mark at the foot of the page to indicate this, and so with pages 2, 3, etc. Hence, whenever I do this part of the making up, I need not begin at the beginning of the volume, only at the earliest page that has not got this mark. All this looks very complicated when stated at full length, but you will find it perfectly simple when you've had a little practice and it will come to regard the making up as a pleasant occupation for a rainy day or at any time you feel disinclined for more severe mental work. In the game of whist, Hoyle gives us one golden rule. When in doubt, win the trick. I find that rule admirably admirable for real life, and when in doubt what to do, I make up my letter register. Thanks for listening. I hope you enjoyed the story. I know, I did. If you liked this story, and you would love to help us out, Please rate us on Apple Podcasts, write us a review, or really anywhere that um, you listen, your favorite podcatcher, uh, or just tell a friend, you know? Be incredibly grateful for for the support. Um, if you want to support us in even more ways, you can become a subscriber at patreon.com slash firesideanthel, and you know, we've got some neat little perks up there, beautiful merch, bonus episodes, um, you know, shout outs in the episodes. We're always thinking of new things to bring, to bring for our subscribers and, um, it'll be fun, you know, figuring it out together with you. Uh, we're on Instagram at Fireside Antho and we'll always post, um, well, first and foremost, just a little blurb about the uh, story of the week. And, um, you know, just things things throughout the, the months. Interesting facts about authors. Uh, memes about books. You know, the usual. Um, that's all for now, folks. Thank you so much for joining us at the Fireside. And we'll see you next week. deserves the best and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. How would you like to look five years younger? In a clinical study, people that had volume added with Juvederm Voluma XC in the cheeks perceived themselves as looking five years younger at six months after treatment. 
Look younger, feel like you. Add volume for lift and contour in the cheeks with Juvederm Voluma XC. Reverse signs of aging by adding volume to smooth laugh lines with Juvederm Volure XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. Hey, folks, I'm Mark Marin from the WTF Podcast, and this episode is brought to you by Kleenex Ultra Soft Tissues, your ally to help tackle your allergy symptoms this season. I love the change of seasons, but nobody loves pollen and all those other things floating in the air that make you sneeze during this nice weather. Kleenex Ultra Soft Tissues are hypoallergenic and allergist approved. So fight back against watery eyes and runny noses without worrying about irritating your skin. For this allergy season, grab Kleenex and face allergies head on.